Two. There are two tonight. Um, and you're wondering, two? There are two people in the first four rows. I guess I have developed chronic halitosis or something. But Shannon and Mark, another star in your crown, some extra Jesus points for you. That is really funny. Sunday morning is, you know, first row. Do not sit on the first row unless you are not right with the Lord or you need to get right with the Lord. Sunday night, first four rows. So I'm expecting revival in the church tonight. We are on Sunday nights talking about unswerving, the stories of bold faith. I'm sure you have been anticipating greatly, sitting on the edge of your uh, seat, I guess, wondering what I'm going to do tonight, because we based this so far on our reading in the Northside 90-day Bible reading schedule. Of course, we're past that now. Now, I want to encourage you, if you didn't take advantage of that, you certainly can still engage in that. That's up on social media and, and the website as well. But uh, we are going, I've decided to uh, hold on to this series with an unrelenting grip. I'm going to ride this baby into the ground as we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, where the writer there says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. It occurred to me that all of the stories that we looked at in the New Testament would have never occurred if they were not preceded by the heroes of faith and the stories of their faith that began in the Old Testament. Now, so tonight we're going to begin at the beginning. And you may say, well, Sonny and I got together and we colluded, and as the adult Bible classes begin in Genesis, that was absolutely a move of the Spirit. He worked through our planning uh, to guide us, so apparently we need to hear from Genesis. As we begin to turn back to Genesis, I want you to pause and turn first to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Because the writer here gives us a definition of faith that I'm sure a Sunday night crowd is particularly familiar with. But it's good for us to review, to think about what exactly faith is and why we have it. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what we're going to be looking at. The ancients, the heroes of faith. He's, he's introducing some heroes of faith, but we're going to look at the ancients. I love that song that Mark will lead sometimes, other song leaders as well. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, so let the ancient words impart. The ancients were commended for their faith in a God who is timeless. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Faith in Hebrews is clearly defined as being confident in the invisible, being confident in the things which you cannot see. Faith is demonstrated, you know, it's defined in the first three verses, but it's demonstrated in the remaining 37 verses, where the writer says, okay, here's a definition of faith, 
And then he finishes by saying, now, now this is what that looks like. Let, let me remind you of the people who were faithful. We know faith when we see it. And I will go further to say, if we can't see it, it's not faith. If you can't see it being lived out in someone's life. Faith, for sure, is in an unseen God. But in us, it's demonstrable. It's something that you can see. So, faith starts by knowing the Word. Now, before we jump in, I know you filler-outers are already filled out, so... Uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 24. It's a long verse, uh, section of scripture, but I, I think we got to get this. If, if anything of a Sunday night crowd, this is probably the thing that we most need to emphasize. So we're going to talk about it tonight. James 2, verses 14 through 24. The brother of Jesus writes this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, I used to think James chapter 2 was about the church of Christ position on salvation. That we just, we were a group that said, no, 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 it's not just about having faith. There's more to it. You can't just pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. You can't just say, I believe. That's not a part of the process. It's faith and works. And I do believe that's true. But I also think he's not just talking at the moment of your journey beginning. I think he's talking about all throughout your beginning, your faith should be more than what you say. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did When he offered his son Isaac on the altar, you see that his faith and actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. When we talk about faith, we've got it defined and we've got it demonstrated in Hebrews chapter 11. And that same thing has to happen in our lives as well. So let's, let's think about the beginning of faith. And we'll look at a specific beginning of faith And talk about how that applies in our world today. Faith starts by knowing the Word of God. And I I mean that, the, the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, the written Word of God in the words of the text. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, 
and hearing through the word of Christ. We have gathered tonight in an auditorium, the purpose of which is to help you to hear. This building was designed intentionally to make it easy for amplification, easy for you to hear. We've got devices, some of you wear them, that amplify even beyond our normal amplification. The whole purpose in that is to allow you to hear. We do live streaming. Some, some folks are watching right now. And the whole purpose of that is that you might hear the word of God. Now, now, what's so special about this word that when you hear it, it serves as the catalyst for faith? I, I'm not exactly sure what it is about the word of God, but I just know that it's true. Nothing else ignites faith in such a powerful way by the simple, powerful word of God. I've heard sermons with very few scriptures used. And I wonder, I wonder, are we, uh, are we trusting in the, the one who speaks on his wisdom? That won't bring faith. That won't bring maturity. What will bring faith time and time again is the word. John says this about the word. He, he talks about the living word. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In my house currently is a, is a layer of dust. More than normal, but uh, we are installing wooden floors. And there's a lot of cutting and sawdust. And, and even if you try to clean it, you still have this film that kind of coats everything. It occurred to me, I've heard this statistic before, that most dust, even though this, in this case it's sawdust, most dust actually is composed of human skin. You and I are literally dust. That God was able to take dust and speak to it, and life came from the dust. It's powerful. It was his word. It was the word that was in the beginning. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why is it useful? The same reason that it gives life to the dust. It's God breathed. So the word is foundational. We, we have to start there. Uh, now you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we're not going to read through the entire, entirety of the, the, the text. But Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are really foundational. For faith in God, for belief in God, for understanding of God. And again, we are not you know, trying to get... <laughs> Genesis 1 and 2 gives some people problems. Even people who would profess to be Christians. Because there are things in Genesis 1 and 2 that go against a lot of things that are taught in modern science. 
And so it, it really is a test. Can you even begin to accept these things at face value right here? It's of, of note to me that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there is this phrase, in the NIV at least, and God said, and God said, and God said. Now, if you're one of those people who like to do something while the preacher's talking, this would be a good time to look down and try to count how many times it says, and God said. Because I think the writer, presumably Moses, is trying to tell us something. Ten times by my count, he says, God said, and God said, or form of it, in chapter 1 and 2. You can argue about that, fine, but the point is, it's in there a lot. And when something's repeated often, it's trying to tell us something. Now, uh, even more interesting, in chapter 2... I'm sorry, in chapter 3, this one you can look, in the very first verse, all truth starts in Genesis 1 and 2, and God said, and God said, and God said. And then in chapter 3 starts trouble. And how does trouble start? How does the enemy begin? Did God really say? Let me take just a moment. I know this gives the camera operator sits. But let me just go, since you're all the way back there, I have to go all the way down here, okay? But you all are going to face difficulty in this area more than anyone else ever has in this room. And it comes down to this. Did God really say? Did God really say? If God didn't say it, it really doesn't matter. But if God did say it, it's of eternal importance. And and the world that you live in with social media and Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever, it's so worried about what everyone else is saying. And they're mocking what God says. Listen, please, oh, follow your whole lives to what God says. Because what everyone else says... Matters very little. And if you can get that, then you can get what the heroes of faith had to learn thousands of years ago. That it's not about what everyone else says. It's about what's in the word of God. Where does your faith lie? It really comes down to that. Did God really say it? It's binary. And I don't understand the word binary, but it's either on or it's off. It's one or the other. Either he said it or he didn't. But there's no middle ground. So, faith must start with the word of God and believing what he said. And then, following through. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith, without faith, it is impossible. Possible to please God. But he who believes, uh, he who has faith must, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, the heroes of faith said this if God said it, if God calls me to build a giant ark for a, a worldwide devastational flood, 
that won't happen for a good century. I believe it enough to, to, to go get the, the gopher bark and, and, and start building? Do I believe it enough to be mocked, to be made fun of, to be ostracized? Noah did. He had faith and he acted accordingly. Now, I would say to you that the heroes of current faith, Paul talked this morning about the heroes that don't wear capes. It's a, the exact same thing is true for us today. If God says, as a simple example, from your culture, from our culture, that you'll understand. If God says that marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, then that's it. That's... Now, don't amen me on that, and thank you, most of you didn't. Because that's something that you all believe. The challenging part is to have faith in things and to do things which go against your comfort zone, which go against your natural instinct. That's where faith is faith. We, we could sit down and interview Mr. Abraham and say to him, what was it like to take your only son you'd waited your whole life for up that mountain? Oh, I'm sure difficult would be one of the words, hard Because it, was, because it was difficult, because it was hard, it made faith that much more real to him. Because he had to do what God called, and he had to believe what God said, even if he didn't understand. Without the word, faith is impossible. It, if we don't know the word, that's a problem. That's why, that's why at Northside, we want you to be in the word, reading it, meditating on it, studying it. That's an important thing to do. A Sunday night crowd likely knows the word, or at least you've heard the word a lot. Sermons and classes and lessons. Uh, I heard once this week, a well-read Bible is the sign of a well-fed soul. And that's good. That's true. But... There's more to it. Maybe it's not a but, but an and we need to add here. It's not just hearing it. It's not just knowing it. You've you got to put that into practice. Hearing the word of God is not the mark of spiritual maturity. It is doing the word of God. It is acting on the word of God. It is living out the word of God that causes growth and maturity. Even Satan and his demons know the Word of God. They're not worried about you having passages of Scripture memorized and reading your Bible every day. What worries them is when you begin to change your life accordingly. James 2.19, you believe that there is one God, good, but even the demons believe that. If, if we know the Word of God but don't act, then there's a bigger problem. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. If you read the Bible, 
but don't apply it. It's as if you didn't read the Bible at all. Turn to Matthew 25. We will go to... Sometimes you can think, well, some things are salvation issues, some things are not. Tonight I want to talk to you about a salvation issue. And it's this very point right here. Jesus himself says, in fact, he brings us to judgment day. And he, he's talking about separating the, sheeps and the, the sheep and the goats. And here's what he says, starting in verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you, look at this, since the creation of the world. Verse 35, for I was hungry, and you invited, uh, gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will say, when? Did we see hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? You see, the right, even righteous people are going to serve Jesus and not even know it. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, because you didn't go to church on Sunday night. Because you didn't read through the Bible plan. Because you weren't baptized. He doesn't say any of that. He simply says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will answer the same thing. When? When? Talk about that. I mean, if, if Jesus, if it had been you, I surely would have invited you into my house and made you dinner. No, he says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It's telling to me that on Judgment Day, the question is going to be very different than what we're expecting. And what he says is, I want to see your faith lived out. It's good that you know it. It's good that you listen to it. It's good that you read it. It's good that you memorize it. But even better, to the point of being a salvation issue, is whether or not you hear his words. He, he's one of the teachers who gives you the test before the test. He's saying, listen, on Judgment Day, I'm going to care about, did you feed people? Did you give them something to drink? Did you give them clothes to wear? Did you look after those in prison? 
as close to what we know is going to be on the test. That's it. Jesus then wants us not only to begin faith by knowing the word, but he wants us to finish faith by living the word. So the challenge then is this. Know what he said, believe what he said, and do what he said to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you're feeling terribly guilty, I have some hope for you, and that is this. The good thing about the church is we're surrounded by examples, by people who we can just look at what they do and do that. And if you need help with that, I'll give you a list. Because I think there are people I see Jesus in all the time. And we need to be about living our faith in just such a way. One final example. I told you we're installing floors in our home. And uh, I did a lot of research into that because I've never done it before. I watched YouTube videos and... I took the manual, the instructions that that came with the flooring, and they were on a website, and I I read through the PDF several times. And I made sure I knew what tools. But what really helped me, beyond the YouTube videos and the instructions from the manufacturer, was talking to Brent and Sean Clothier, who'd done it before. And they said, you've got to watch this, you've got to be careful. And I hear I have some tools that will help you. And even more than that, Kevin Nash. I asked him, I said, I know you've done this. Would you come over and help me? Now, help is really quite an understatement. He's effectively put in my floor. But what did he do? He helped me understand the instructions by showing me how to do it by doing it. So that I could follow his example when he wasn't there. And now someday, maybe I'll teach my son how to do it by showing him my example. Now, that's not a story about putting in wooden floors. That's a story about living faith. We can start with the word, but we've got to finish in our lives. If you're not doing that tonight, I want to call you to the first four rows. Where myself and one of our elders will be here to meet you. If you have any need, if you're ready to begin your journey of faith with Christ, or if you've wandered away in your journey with Christ, we want to help you in whatever way we can. Next week, we're going to be addressing the seniors. Seniors, I hope I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Uh, let's sing together.